This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sliders. Season 1, Episode 8, and Season 2, Episode 3. You're the other Rembrandt. No, no, I'm the real Rembrandt. No, the real Rembrandt, the crying man, is dead. And you are clearly not dead. No, I am the crying man. I only faked my death because I wanted to get out of the business, okay? Now, I've shared my little secret. What's yours? We're from a parallel dimension. The imposter's not an imposter. He's really you. Say what? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast trapped on the astral plane. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? My what's real was the exact same thing. I have, I'm just trapped on the astral plane. Joel, that's where we're going to go today. (laughs) We're in simpatico today. It's what Sliders does to people. (laughs) We sync up because we're going to all those parallel worlds. We're meeting our parallel selves. It really syncs you up. Luke, how do you think we do you and I going on parallel worlds? Oh, I don't know if I want to meet myself on a parallel world. What if he's more successful than me? (laughs) Well, one, I think that's probably guaranteed for both of us. Oh, I hate that. Um, and, and the second thing is, based on this show, the chance of you finding the, your double are very, very low. They, they don't want to have to spend the technology to have to double these. Or, unless you have a twin. Oh, spoilers. Spoiler. A twin that... Identical twin? Nope. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I, love, I love just peppering these things so no one knows what we're talking about. All right, Jordan. Well, before we get started, you got something for us? I do. I just thought we'd do a fun little segment. Um, it's a game we've done before. I know you love it, Luke, and it's called Guess the Roll. Oh, good. I love this game. And and what it is is I've just picked some random, um, random rolls that uh, are the lead actors in our show have done in the past and see if uh, you can guess who did what based on uh, just their appearance on their past work or anything like that off topic but have you ever read Mm -hmm. uh, the av club's random roles interviews i have yeah those are always so good i like reading character actors being asked about like something they did like 30 years ago they're like oh i forgot about that it is interesting because because it's a better thing than just like hey tell me about indiana jones one more time it's like harrison ford doesn't want to tell you about it he doesn't care you know? He's over it. He's over everything. Yeah, he's over everything. <laughs> he just wants to fly one of his planes into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Um, so what I've done is I actually picked uh, five actors. And the fifth actor I just thought is a little bonus because there's going to be an actress name. Now, I don't know her and I don't know how to pronounce her name. But her name is Carrie Wooher. Wooher? W-U-H-R-E-R. I don't know how you pronounce that. Wooher. Weir? I don't know. Anyways, for seasons three, four, and five, she's going to be a major character. So she has actually more episodes than some of our cast members <laughs> who are going to be leaving soon. So I thought I might as well add her in. So it's just a fun bonus that you just to kind of throw a little bit of a wrench in this if it's too easy for you. Because I made it a little bit easier. So I think that you can actually get a good score on this. Oh, that's nice of you. So again, five actors. So just to remind you, you got your Jerry O'Connell, who plays Quinn Mallory. You have Sabrina Lloyd, who plays Wade Wells. You have Cleavant Derricks, who plays Rembrandt Brown. You have John, how does he pronounce his name? Ree Davies? Reese. Reese, John Reese Davies. Um, he plays uh, Professor Maximilian Arturo. And then again, this last actress who we haven't seen yet, but I'm assuming we will in a couple weeks. Uh, Carrie Wooher, uh, who plays on the show, she'll be playing Maggie Beckett. Maggie Beckett. 
Look okay. out, Maggie Beckett's coming. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's what the promo sounded like on Fox. <laughs> uh, I think she's the one they replaced uh, Sabrina Lloyd with when they said we need someone sexier. I think that's who she is. That makes sense. Yeah, so there you go. So we'll, we'll see if that's the case. All right. So uh, again, five rules. The first rule, this person played the role of Natalie Hurley in 45 episodes of Sports Night between 1998 and 2000. Do you remember that show, Sports Night? I do, and I happen to know that's Sabrina Lloyd because it's a very good show. Okay, so let's say that's your guess for the first one. We'll, we'll see how your score does at the end. I'm pretty sure when she was, like, disgracefully removed from sliders, I think that's where she ended up, and I'm like, what an upgrade. <laughs> that is an upgrade. If that's the case, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying you're right, but... If that's the case, yes, it's a big upgrade. Uh, this person, and this only because this made me laugh, this person played the role of a kid at beach, also uncredited, um, in Police Academy 5, Assignment, Miami Beach, from 1988. Uh, it's got to be Jerry O'Connell, right? Okay, that's your second guess. Also, by the way, this this title has way too many colons because it's Police Academy 5, colon, Assignment, colon, Miami Beach. <laughs> that's got to be just a gag, right? Police Academy writers are like, this is hilarious. I don't know. I mean, it's as funny as probably Police Academy 5 is. Next one. The role of Charles in 19 episodes of the series Taya from 1993, which I was not familiar with. I'm, I'm surprised I'm not because that was my that was my time of just watching TV. Oh, I think this will be... Uh, how do you pronounce the name? Rembrandt? Oh, Cleavant, Cleavant Ler- Derricks? Yes, Cleavant Derricks. Thank you. Okay. And uh, the next role, we have uh, the role of... Uh, Denise Kahlberg in the 1997 classic Anaconda. Oh, well, that's got to be Carrie uh, Weir or whatever her name is. Okay. I didn't know she was in that movie. I, I only remember J-Lo and one of the Wilsons. And and uh, uh, what's his face? John Boyd. Uh, with the scar on his face? That's right, John Boyd. <laughs> Doing an accent? An accent? We don't know I what. I don't know. Who knows? Doing cocaine, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, we have the role of Bouchard in Grizzly 2. The Predator from 1983. Now, you have one actor left, and that would be John Reese davies Do you think uh, yeah, that's Yeah, it's got to be John Reese davies And if that's true, I want to watch this bear, too. Okay. So, uh, you, my friend, scored five out of five. A first. Yes. Five out of five. And that that's ex- especially impressive because one of these actresses we haven't even seen. So, it was Sabrina Lloyd in uh, Sports Night. Uh, Jerry O'Connell did play the uncredited kid at beach in Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach. Uh, Cleveland Derricks did pl- uh, was playing the role of Charles in the series Taya, but I'm not familiar with that show. And Carrie Wooher did play uh, Denise Kahlberg in Anaconda. So for anyone, they should go back and watch her. <laughs> I don't even know what she looks like. And then John Rhys-Davies was in Grizzly 2, The Predator, Grizzly which 2. I love because gri- what do you think? Grizzly 1 is just probably Grizzly. Yeah, yeah. But now yeah. he's a predator. <laughs> It's, it's before movies and they knew they were going to be doing a whole series and they have like a title. You know, it wasn't like Grizzly, The Beginnings or whatever. Right, 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 right. But I mean, Grizzly 2 is a little different because Grizzly 1, the bear was a predator. Like that's what a bear is. <laughs> but in Grizzly 2, he's now a sexual predator. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. That's, <laughs> hey, you know what? We, you never know. I think we should watch it. Maybe it was a TV movie and we'll watch it for the... Uh... Watch it for the podcast. I got to say, Jordan, 100%. I'd like to see my successful double in a parallel universe do that. <laughs> Guaranteed not. But um, that's actually, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good segue, huh? The best there ever was, Jordan. Here's the IMDb summary for season one, episode eight. The King is back. 
In a world where Rembrandt was the king of rock and roll, and where impersonators show homage through his fashion sense, the Sliders must team up with his devil to save him from a crazy and jealous former bandmate. Okay, there's a couple things I want to say, and we'll talk about this as we go. But there's two things that were a little disappointing about this episode. One, I actually weirdly wrote the note ahead of time uh, before we started the episode. I said, the show surprisingly isn't doing enough at least that we've seen. Maybe they've been episodes that we haven't seen. But enough of the sort of fun two people playing the same role kind of thing in TV. It's always kind of fun. Sometimes it works better than others. But that's sort of like uh, either there are two people fighting that are the same person or you have that sort of Clark Kent Superman thing. They have to be in the same room at the same time, but they can't. You know, there's different ways to play this. And I was like, how come the show hasn't done this? It seems like it's like right there in front of them because they're going to worlds where they're doubled and they keep always having to have throwaway lines of like oh yeah quinn died uh uh they're <laughs> they're off cheating on someone in spain and you're like what why don't why don't they just like have that always have that like fun awkwardness where they have to sneak into someone's office you know they leave the office and like didn't you just leave like no i forgot something like that's fun that's fun tv and they, for whatever reason they don't really want to do it then we have this episode i'm like there's gonna be doubles and do they do it yeah, for one one song and dance so yeah, it's not it's not really there. You would think I was watching this episode having these same thoughts, Jordan, that a big selling point of this show to the actors would have been yes. very much like what's the Canadian clone movie or TV show? Oh, Orphan Black. You think that would be the thing? So you're gonna get to play a character, but it's gonna be like different every time. You're gonna have a lot of yeah. fun playing variations on a character, and that's really not what this show is that interested in. <laughs> No, and this in this episode in particular, and I'll just say I liked I liked the second episode better than I liked this episode. It just this episode, it's just I, nothing really comes together, or it's like, and it's and it seems to be a thing through the show overall, where it seems like they're rushing to the end, like like it's like they're not that interested in the story they're actually telling. It's like, well, then tell a different story. It, it does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying with this episode. Well, let's get into it, and we can kind of break it down as we go. Okay. Interestingly enough, it sort of starts, which I think is a good move for the show, as if you're at the end of an episode and Quinn's in handcuffs. He's being tried for the graffiti that his double on this world did. And the sentence Mm -hmm. is death. Yeah. And so but it's it's just a real like quick cold open. And so like uh, just as he gets sentenced to death, um, they you hear that they're going to be sliding in a few seconds. So they like get into a a quick fist fight. He escapes and they all. um, they are able to jump through the portal or the, what do they call it? The slide, the slide. Oh, um, I believe in this episode, they call it a vortex, but I prefer to think of it as a slide hole. That's what I write in all my notes. <laughs> slide hole. I like slide hole too. Let's do that. It is good. It's in the middle of a like packed courtroom, winds blown, people's hair is blown yeah. back. It's a, it's a fun scene. Yeah. And you know, you, I, I agree. The, the fun thing about this is that it even expands all their journeys, right? Because they don't have to do a whole episode. They go, Oh, there's also a word where world where, frogs are in charge but you don't actually have to do that episode you just have you just imply it chased and by they frogs get and they gotta jump in slide hole done done and that's it and and i i thought that was good too uh, i tell you one negative about this though is in an episode like this i think that previous episode where there's some sort of like very authoritarian uh government i think that's a more interesting episode <laughs> than the one we get well the next earth they land on they discover they've got three days for the next slide a far more reasonable amount of days than we've seen previously yeah, yeah. What was the last one? It was like six weeks or something stupid like that. I think wasn't the one they were there for like three months. <laughs> yeah, it's just dumb. Yeah, this this is where it should be. It should be like a day or two, just so you can like they can get their feet wet in the world, 
solve whatever problem it is and then jump back out that's reasonable and when they sort of land we're always looking to see what the big clue is going to be they're not on their earth and i was so confused by sort of because they're walking around and as they walk around everyone stops to point and laugh at rembrandt not anything but point and laugh that's correct i know it's weird because it doesn't it doesn't make sense uh, it doesn't make sense to what we learn yeah because yeah well at first it just looks like they're laughing at all of them and you think, are they dressed weird? Are they walking oddly? Um, is there something about their mannerisms? But what it is is they're laughing at him because they think he is a Rembrandt impersonator who's apparently the most famous uh, pop star um, of all Elvis time. He's the Elvis Presley of this world. Yeah, and they're laughing at him because he's doing such a good job or such a bad job or but what's weird about it too is like even if it's funny like you're like oh it'd be so weird to see like like you're saying an elves a person just walking down the street where looking and dressed entirely like elvis i don't know if the response would be one to just every single person you pass to laugh and point and secondly they make it very clear this is commonplace that like a ton of people are dressed like this. So what are they laughing at? Well, just that if you saw an Elvis impersonator, you definitely like turn your head. But would you stop, point your finger directly in his face, and laugh hysterically? I think one person would. Would I think every single person that they passed? No. <laughs> it, it was so weird. But yes, the big reveal is Rembrandt is a huge star on this earth, um, so big that his he's still the crying man on this earth. But he also has garnered the king as a acronym which <laughs> i know i like that i like that they they are because they had already established the crime but someone's like well they have to know that he's like elvis so he's the king i was like okay sure good good work so there's no elvis on this earth i take it <laughs> no no because there's no one to be listening to rembrandt <laughs> at any rate um it has been eight years since the death of the Rembrandt of this world, and um, apparently he died on a sponge fishing accident, uh, and his body was never recovered. Oh, mm -hmm. ominous. I know, I know. But this is kind of what he's seeing. He's seeing a world where people are dressing like him, people love his music, it's... Uh, it's all like a big thing. Like everyone, I think at some point they're like, oh, we just assume you're an impersonator because there's a convention in town in the in honor of the anniversary of his death or whatever. Um mm -hmm. And a lot of this is given to us courtesy of what apparently is a recurring character, a very young Will Sasso. I know. It was weird because he looks, he looks, you know, obviously very similar to his Mad TV days, um, uh, which I think came out probably not too long after this, if not around that time. Um, I don't know when Mad TV started. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny because in the next episode... Which is weird because it's how many episodes do we have? At least a few after this. Well, this is season um, one, and then we come back to I know, season, season two, two, and he's still playing an innkeeper in San Francisco. I know, I know, I I can't tell if that was just like they liked him and were like, let's bring him back. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we also made him an innkeeper, and made like some consistency in this world? Because at first I thought, did they block shoot this? But no, it, there's no way they did. I'm wondering now because we're skipping a bunch of episodes, just watching the best ofs. Maybe a bunch of these little characters, maybe they're always maybe. popping up and we just haven't watched enough to know. Who knows? We, we can't. That would be fun if you do see that consistencies in the world. But uh, yeah, it is funny that he shows up twice. It was a thought I had in my head. There's a little bit of just like a, a mild complaint in the back of my head as I'm just like, if they're always going to San Francisco, why not just have a cast of characters who are always, like everyone in the pilot, like the guy from First Wave? Why isn't he just in every episode? But like as a different like a variation of that character. Um, but I guess maybe they are starting to do that on the show. Like it seems maybe, maybe yeah. they do have like hidden characters who keep popping up. 
Well, yeah, we, who knows? Maybe every time if we go back to the university, I know I only say this because she was pretty prominent in one episode, which is Arturo's secretary. Maybe they, if they go back again, it will be the same secretary again with a different hairdo or something. I'm not sure. Well, we'll, we'll see. Well, we've got 85 episodes of this to watch, so we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're only going to watch seven of them. <laughs> there you go. Close enough. 85. <laughs> At any rate, uh, what happens very quickly is a news report comes on after they check into their motel, and someone has captured home video footage of the four of them walking down the street. And, of course, the news is reporting that uh, Rembrandt, the king... The crying man, he's back. He's back alive. They can't believe it. And they're also, when they're watching the tape back, they're also speculating that maybe Quinn is Jim Morrison. And then Arturo's Pavarotti. Yeah, the apparently the still living Pavarotti. They're like, and maybe this is Pavarotti. And my favorite part is they, they pan to Wade and they're like, we don't know who this is. Who knows? I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> what? Well, they couldn't think of any famous women. <laughs> That's what. But here's here's what's weird about that. I, I didn't get what the joke was was the joke that or maybe there's no joke is it that they kind of look like these people they were like hey these actors kind of look like these people let's just mention it or is it that the news people the news media are bad at their job because they just start thinking everyone is i I, I didn't what was the what was the joke there i think the joke is like a tabloid headline you might see at the grocery store in 1980 that where elvis presley lives and then you might be like right and he's hanging out with jim morrison on the beach and they're you know they just look at the actors and like jim morrison kind of like maybe you could maybe say uh jerry o'connell could play him in a movie and then you know then they just take a cheap shot at john reese davis and say you know he's large he's a large man so he's pavarotti the writer's room just takes I always- cheap shot <laughs> And on a separate note, don't you always feel bad for an actor where they do stuff like that? Because they even have to have the line later on. He's like, I don't look like Pavarotti. But then then they, they kill it. And uh, <laughs> by having <laughs> having him do a really bad stereotypical Italian accent. Yes. Did he, you love that part? He does. When he's asked if he's Pavarotti, he's just like, do I sound like Pavarotti? I'm an Englishman. Pavarotti is an Italian. And then he talks like Super Mario from the Mario Brother game. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, do I sound like this? Anyways, Luke, what did it sound like? Uh, a lot of A's at the end of every word. <laughs> um, and let me just uh, digress for a minute. Uh, there's another thing that comes up here, and I'm sure you noticed it, Luke, because I think we've discussed it before, which is Wade and Quinn. They sort of, for the beginning of the first episode we saw, sort of played up like, ooh, will they, won't they? They're two attractive heterosexual people. Maybe they will uh, get together. Um, and then they've sort of played it, and we thought they're guaranteed a couple because in one episode he's like, drying her hair after she goes out of a shower which seems like a very intimate thing to do um in this episode they drop a weird line where um at the very beginning they have to unhandcuff uh quinn because he's still handcuffed from uh his court or in the previous world and they have quinn uh she takes off like his handcuffs really easily and he's like how do you know they do that and she gives him a wink of like eh i'm into like handcuffing myself and they're like oh you naughty girl or something to that effect and then in the next episode they mention how they kissed one time and they kind of talked about their feelings, and I'm like, I don't, know, I don't understand this thing. What, what am I supposed to get out of this relationship? Is it, is it like a little bit winks and nods, or are they actually a couple, or are they? I don't know what this is. They're really, I think, going for the will they, won't they thing. So maybe what we're seeing is occasionally they're closer than other times, and they're like, oh, when are they finally going to get together? Because we, the audience, can't wait. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. I guess my whole overall point is I can't wait any longer. Yeah, you just want it to happen. Let's go get I want married. To I know. And finally, come on. Come on, guys. It's been several episodes. You've, you've slid through many, many worlds. 
At any rate, with the news out that maybe the crying man is back on this world, everyone's in a tizzy, obviously. And uh, one of the um, news reporters goes out to interview Rembrandt's agent on this world, Captain Jack uh, Bane? Bear? Something like that? Yeah, Captain Jack. Captain Jack to you, his friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Captain, I call him Captain. And he go, they go to visit him at his office where he's auditioning the 80s novelty act, the Del Rubio triplets. Yeah. Is this where they, dro- they, they drop the weird line where they say, this is going to be bigger than when Michael Jackson rejoined Public Enemy? That happens a little bit later, but he is excited to hear Rembrandt's back alive. And that is his line. He's like, it's going to be bigger than when Michael Jackson rejoined Public Enemy. Which I was just like, just show me that. That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i don't know this the show they drop things like that and i always am like are you making a comment i can't tell if you're making a comment or a writer just thought this was an easy gag and i don't it's same like that like pope jane Pauly the second i'm like I, are you guys making a comment i can't tell i can't tell if you're actually smart or not i think the answer is no no it's not. these are all just easy gags <laughs> yeah okay well there they are um and captain jack so excited that he's his star attractions back alive because as we see he's got a lot of low rent acts and uh, he needs to get back up to the top so he's just like i gotta head down to this motel i gotta find rembrandt i gotta put him back on top and um we get this weird scene where i guess everyone finds out rembrandt's at this motel because like there's like a mob outside and we have a whole gag where rembrandt goes out to see the mob and then arturo goes out to save him and they the crowd strips arturo's clothes off (laughs) Yeah, well, they the hotel manager played by Will Sasso. He's the one who who like to, like spread the word. Oh, that is that what's happened? There. That's I what it was. See. Yeah, so he said it. Then they get like irritated at one point. But yes, why? I I know what they're showing. They're showing that the fan base is so ravenous and so passionate that they start tearing the clothes off. But it doesn't. It doesn't quite. I don't think it quite lands. <laughs> Just to let us know how successful he is here and. Captain Jack shows up just in time to help them because they don't know how to get into this motel. And he's mm-hmm. just like, hey, listen, let's get back together, Rembrandt. I've already lined you up a televised comeback for a concert that I think is happening in like 36 hours from now. Yeah. It, it, again, it, none of this lines up, but sure. And it's going to pay $1 million per song. Yeah, so I don't it, – it's weird because I guess the people who did this pay-per-view contract, they weren't like – We'll give you $20 million. We need you to do about 20 songs because we need to fill up, let's say, an hour of airtime. They say, we'll just give you a million dollars for every song you do. And he's like, we'll just keep doing songs one after another. I'm like, is that the deal? Is that how it works? They'll just keep playing on Apparently. That that appears to be their plan. He's just like, you'll just keep playing for as long as you can. Let me just stop us quickly here because it's something we're going to see near the end of the episode. Luke, let's say you were doing a huge comeback special. For, let's say it is Elvis. Let's say Elvis is coming back. He's doing a huge comeback special, and everyone's really excited. You know, uh, the fervor is, is 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 just pulsating through the nation. As an opening act, or opening acts, would you probably choose Elvis impersonators? Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Just a yeah, I think so, too. Long string of impersonators before you put the main act on. Yeah, I think so. Because usually when I go to a concert, I like seeing a lesser version do the same songs before that I'm I see about the real to thing. see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yes, yeah, yeah. this is the concert he's offered a million dollars a song to come back for Rembrandt to come back on stage. And obviously, Rembrandt's stoked. He's ready to go. And as he sort of says to the sliders, he's like, Yeah, I remember this guy from our world. 
when I went solo, he offered to rep me and I turned him down. I guess I made a mistake the first time, so I shouldn't do it the second time. Yeah, I actually thought this was a pretty good thing. And there's something they could have played with a little bit here, which again is this sort of like idea of missed opportunities in life. And when you have, um, you know, I think there was something here they could have done more with, which is Rembrandt seeing a more successful version of himself and this push and pull of he knows what he should be doing is getting back to where he belongs, which is his actual world. But this seems like a much better version for him. And in this world, he has made choices that, you know, different choices that seem to have worked out. There's, there's a more wistful idea here, but they, it's, it, it's, they kind of play with it. Like he's like, oh, maybe I should stay sort of thing, but they don't, I don't know. It, again, it feels like they're racing to the end. So they can jump to another world because they're not that interested in the story. Where I'm like, there's something here. You just need to focus on it a little bit. Yeah, there's practically no character development or arc for Rembrandt. He gets here. He finds that he's famous. He's excited. He, I think he immediately is just like, I'm staying. Like, I don't think it takes him any time to decide he's staying. Well, and he just, and and I think weirdly, um, for a character that I would say is my favorite character. And I think has been the funniest, most consistent person in the show. Weirdly, I liked him the least in this episode. And I don't know if it's because he was just focused uh, so heavily on as the primary character, or if it was just that they just didn't know what to do with him anymore. Once he was the lead and he's just like, yeah, I want to be famous. I'm like, and and what else do we learn about Rembrandt? Nothing. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's it. All you learn is he, he, he feels bad he wasn't as famous as he would have liked to be. Yeah, that's about it. I mean... At any rate, uh, back to the plot, like uh, Captain Jack sneaks them out of the back of the motel. And as they're leaving, Rembrandt notices his old convertible parked on the old in the loading bay, the one from the pilot that got left on Ice mm-hmm. World. He's very mm-hmm. excited to see it, but he's almost immediately attacked and kidnapped by his former bandmate, Maurice Fish, and like dragged away in the back of this convertible because I, I don't know. And I don't know how you feel about this, but we're going to see quite a few, uh, quite a bit of this Maurice Fish in a lot of scenes. I don't know why I found this character so unwatchable. I just, I don't know what what he was going for, but I just, I don't like it. I don't there's something and I I don't know. I'm not saying it's offensive because I don't know what it would be. I just this I just don't like it. Don't like it at all. Yeah, we'll get into it, but like They're doing Maurice something, right? Fish is basically just supposed to be like a crazy ex-bandmate who's kidnapped Rembrandt cuz he wants Rembrandt to sign a piece of paper stating that he's stolen all his songs from Maurice and that Maurice was the true talent behind him. This isn't true. It turns out like, this is just like, it turns out he's a crazy person who is committed. So like, there's not even like anything interesting around the idea that this Rembrandt did steal someone's songs. That's not the case. He's just like been given this actually been given the task of like, you're completely unhinged and you're not very interesting as a character. And we just have to keep going back to you being like, crazy and you know he's doing the best way he can with it he's at like 11 at all times but i think i think you're right maybe that's what was kind of irritating me is that there's probably something here they could have played with which is yes you see that the other version of you was more successful but the choices he made to become successful maybe weren't that honest or weren't that didn't you know he had sold his integrity a little bit to to get there and there again you could feel bad for this other guy this maurice guy because if he actually, if that was true, but it's not, it's just a stopgap before we get to the end of the episode. So this guy can like kind of like parade in front of him at 11 for a couple scenes. And I'm like, uh, okay. Well, it's just, it's just to, mental to, illness to, to, to no joke. effect. It's just mental illness. Yeah, joke. Maybe that's what it was that kind of bothered me. I was just like, I just, this is not good at all. Yeah. 
At any rate, with Rembrandt kidnapped, with 36 hours of the concert, they're quite concerned. But Captain Jack won't call the cops <laughs> about the abduction because Lindenberg, baby? That's I don't understand what that meant. No, I don't know either. It's it, They just, again, they just throw out lines of something you kind of know about. You're like, I remember that sort of. Like, anyways, moving on. I guess because Lindenberg, did it die? Is that what happened? I don't know. Yeah, I only vaguely remember. I think it was abducted, and they were trying to get, I think, uh, uh, money for it, but the baby was already dead, I think. Yeah, it's just so weird. He's just like, he's just like, should we call the cops? He's like, no, Lindenberg baby. And then the camera turns, and Arturo's like, he makes a good point. I'm like, what? What, Arturo? Does he make a good point? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, is it near here where we, we meet... We, we find out that the real Rembrandt is alive? Yes, well, this is just it. Is Quinn happened to see the license plate on the cars that drove away. Uh, Cry Baby is the license plate. Yeah. <laughs> and he's able to use a computer to, like, backtrack the license plate to its owner, Maurice Fish. And at this, hap- at this exact moment, for some reason, Rembrandt of this world, who has been living in a cabin in the woods after faking his own death, has decided to come back to town just to find out what the hubbub is about. Well, he basically is like, they're saying the real Rembrandt's coming back. And he's like, how could the real Rembrandt be coming back? Yes, I'm going to. I have faked my my death and I've been living and hiding for eight or nine years. But this is enough to bring me out. Which, again, didn't quite work. Like, what it really should have been is what happens later, we're going to find out is it should just be the money. It should just be that whatever it is, and he's now living in a part where he doesn't, he's not as happy with his choice because he got used to a certain lifestyle he sees the amount of money that he can make and it's like, that's going to be the turn. But it's not. It's like, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, he's just a little curious. So he comes back and, you know, they're all excited to see Rembrandt, but it's not Rembrandt. It's his double. And we, the audience, know it's not Rembrandt because the actors don't look the same. <laughs> yeah, because it's played by, and I and I looked it up and I'm sure you did, it's played by uh, Cleveland, uh, Derek's brother, who I can't remember his name, sorry, um, who I will give this, is a, is his twin, but they're not identical twins. And it's they're close enough that you know they're related. You know they're brothers. But they don't, by any stretch, look like the same person. So it's a weird choice. Like, it's, it's a fun idea that you would get in, you know, back in the day if you had to have a kid actor. And you have two of them, two twins, so that you can have them work insane hours. But this, I just don't, it just didn't really work because... They don't look exactly the same. Well, it's funny because I think that's a famous story from um, Terminator 2 is that um, – uh, what, uh, sorry, what's the what's her name, the star of Terminator 2? Linda Hamilton? Linda Hamilton. She has a twin sister. And so that's right. for a few scenes, they were able to use her twin to, to stand in to like do double work for that. And I think that premise is fine for use of a twin. What they do in this episode is it's when our lead Rembrandt, the Rembrandt we see every week – is not in the scene he could be playing his double but he's not his twin is playing the double so i know what we have is and it's not just even doing a bad job like he's an actor i think he's doing a fine job the twin but it just doesn't it's it doesn't have any relation to the character we've seen perform so many times like it doesn't make sense why you wouldn't have no i know it's it's because they want to have that scene which we are going to see where they're both because what we're going to get out big spoiler for a show that's been on for 20 years is they're going to have a scene where they both are singing on stage together so they wanted this sort of dynamic performance where you have the two of them like song battling each other but you um, can but have you're right. that still i know you could have had that it, it, they, they just decide that they want to give this guy those scenes but you're right it should have just been cleveland playing the roles because it's 
he would only have to do that one role. It does, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. make sense because the twins the, aren't on screen for ninety percent of the episode. Why is why is his brother who doesn't look like him walking around <laughs> for so like he's on the episode as much as Cleveland? And they, and I like that you as an audience have to suspend your disbelief on just that they don't look the same. And all the characters are like, "What? Where did you show up?" I'm like, "Well, he doesn't look anything like Rembrandt." So you wouldn't be you wouldn't be surprised. Jordan, I told you I watched that making of last week for the for the podcast. Yeah. The creator Treme was going on and on about what a genius he was for this twin thing and how everyone was blown away and they couldn't figure out how he did the effects because it was so good. And I'm just watching him like nobody nobody was tricked, man. This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird thing and it and it unfortunately it doesn't do anything for this episode it's an it's a neat idea for the guy to have his brother in in theory play this other role it just doesn't really work for the show um just have whatever him, like you, everyone else just have him come on at the end when you need two rembrandts on stage to fake us out because it's dark there's flashing lights we would have never known it what you wouldn't do all these tricks that you're talking about in the making of like having them both on stage but why have the brother play the whole character i mean the brother's fine he's not a bad actor it's just like doesn't make any sense like it, it, like he doesn't know the character the way Rembrandt does so the way he's performing it is just like it's like I'm watching someone else entirely yeah well it's yeah I, I honestly that first scene where you see him watching TV I was confused because I was like is this a Rembrandt impersonator it what is this and yeah so anyways you just have to suspend your disbelief that they look exactly the same because that's and what you they can't. want for the show so and you can't you can't but again it doesn't it's really going to be to not much effect because he's now going to come back. Um, the, now the concert's on. The concert. I like. I like that Rembrandt. The the as as Captain Jack knows and everyone else knows. Rembrandt is still missing. They go ahead with the show. Not only go ahead with the show. It's on. That's the thing. Is basically Rembrandt comes back. They're like they explain to him how parallel this or this double Rembrandt comes in. They explain to him how parallel universes work. He's like. Uh, whatever. I don't care. And they're like, well, that's, uh, let's just say that that's a response everyone has because I know why, because they don't want to spend time every episode having someone, uh, take the time is to convince someone, you know, and show them a series of things that make them convinced that this is true. So every episode, everyone's very blase about it. They're like, yeah, okay. makes sense to me. And you're like, okay, sure. And they tell Rem, this double Rembrandt that, uh, their Rembrandt has been kidnapped by a Maurice fish. And he's like, uh, oh, I had that guy committed to a mental institution and he hates me now. He's definitely going to kill your Rembrandt. And they're like, well, good news. I pulled his address out of the computer database. So let's go. And Jordan, where do they go with the address that I think their friend is being held hostage at? I'm trying to look at my notes. Do they go? I'll tell you where they go, Jordan. They go straight to the concert that's currently in progress live on television. They just go right there and they... what we get to see is that these, like you said, impersonators are just on. Captain Jack's running the show as if I don't know what his plan is because Rembrandt's not going to show up. He's kidnapped. Well, it seems like the plan is every time they have to delay, they put on another impersonator, and apparently the crowd is fine for that. But how does how does Captain Jack think the show's ever like Rembrandt's I know. gone? I know it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's 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 this this one this episode is such a mess because it. They want to do a bunch of stuff, but I don't even know what they want to do. Is the whole point to learn that Rembrandt should have learned that his life is fine? Is the point that his his double on this world should have learned that he should have appreciated what he had? Is it that the the there's the, no point how there's money no, is evil? There's no point to any of this. So you no just point. go 
stuff happening. And I'm like, oh, this is bad, guys. And let me let me just say, we knew that from the beginning of the show when we were doing the you know very preliminary research about sliders was this producer Tracy Treme. You know, I want to do all these great ideas and all this stuff for the first season, and then Fox didn't want me to, and they wanted a more action show and stuff. I was like, I think I'm on Fox's side because these aren't ideas. There's no great idea here. Like this is not. I hate to say it's not always the same, but the grand day of the mall, this is not Star Trek The Next Generation that had great ideas and then thought of a, a plot around it. There is no idea here. It's not even a fun episode, really. No. I, I mean, anyway, my point here, too, at this weird <laughs> concert that's happening is they go, we see this concert in progress, and none of it makes any sense. Like, what is happening? How is it in progress? What does Captain Jack think is going to happen? Who knows? And then the sliders take Captain Jack aside, and they're like, Captain Jack, we just stopped by to tell you we've got the address for Rembrandt. And it's like, that's why you came here? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a rewrite thing where they're like, oh, wait, that's, there's a hole we have to fill there. It doesn't make any, like, it doesn't make sense why they would have gone there in any way, shape, or form. And and then they leave, and they go to the next spot, and you're like, all right, they're going to get on with the show. And the next spot is a house Fish used to live at where they meet a woman who maybe Rembrandt knows like it's never clear like it's it, it's it's maurice's old as his ex-wife it's maurice's ex-wife and rembrandt knew her because it was his old band member so he he had a you know a tangential relationship with this woman and they but they keep playing it like the two actors playing it are doing a fine job and they're playing it like maybe they have a romantic I history know. too but it's all just there to fill another five minutes of a show that they run out of ideas like 15 minutes ago because they're like, oh, well, here's his address. If you go here, you'll find him. I'm like, what did I just watch? Yeah, so they go to the, the ex-wife for some reason, and I guess she confirms that he is unstable. And they get a new address. That's right. They get another address. They go to the next place. <laughs> it's a spooky basement where he's holding Rembrandt hostage. You know, we've been back here a couple times with the episode. He was, he's always there menacing him at 11, as you said. But, you know, they immediately overwhelm Morris Fish and save Rembrandt. Do you think this would have been a better episode if the tension was, for whatever reason, there's this big concert and they have to do the concert for reasons. I don't know what those might be. Um, and the whole episode is them trying to find Rembrandt because they need him to perform and pretend to be his self because they're going to die or something. Is that a better episode or is it worse? It's a little maybe more concise. I mean, at least has clearer stakes anyway. Well, I, that's true. I, at any rate, very easily overwhelmed Maurice Fish. Um, yeah. They get him out of there, and one of the let only... Me, let me say really quick, the thing I like, though, you're saying they overwhelm Maurice Fish, and then you have Wade and Arturo go, let's get him out of there, and they take him up the stairs. I'm like, where, where, are, they, where are they taking him? Is this a citizen's arrest? But they never speak about it, but they just need him out of the, the room. So, like, they're taking him somewhere? They just leave him on the street, I think. I honestly yeah. don't think they do anything about him. <laughs> it, does, it does lead to maybe the best scene. I think the best scene of the episode, for me, anyway, is where Rembrandt and his double finally meet. Yeah, of course. And they have a nice conversation, actually, about how when he sees him, I think Rembrandt's double was skeptical of parallel universes, but as soon as he sees his, himself, he's like, okay, well, this is true. And he's like, but he's like, I see the difference between us. It's like, you're still really hungry. Like, you've been striving, you've been trying to make it work. He's like, I had my fill of success. I quit this because I had a, I, I, I tasted it all. I was overwhelmed by it, and I, I had to I had to back away. And he's just like, but you didn't get that, man. I think that's would have driven me crazy too. 
And I, he basically offers, he's like, you can take over my life. I do want you to have it, actually. I'm going to go back to living the way I was, and I want mm. you to have this. Like, you need this now, and I want you to have it. And I, like, I was like, there's a sweet idea here. Here's something interesting happening. Like, we're finally into a twig, a twig of an idea, but it's really only mm-hmm. happening in this scene. Yeah. 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 So, so basically he says, like you said, I'll go back. You go do the show. Rembrandt goes. And he, uh, him and his friends are at the concert, and he's like, I'm going to do the show. Um, and he basically says to them, I'm staying. And they're all kind of, like, fine with it. They're all like, it's okay. We like you. This is probably the world you should be at. So they're like, I guess he's going to do the concert. So he goes out to a rapturous crowd. They love it. He starts doing his numbers. They love it. And, again, maybe there's a plot there where it could have been that he's not the performer they thought he was. But that's not what it is. Like, he's great. I have a question for you about yeah. this whole thing. And I think it has something to do with the fact that this show hates the fun and games of their own ideas. Mm-hmm. But Rembrandt landed here. They said, I think they said they're here for six days. It all seems to be happening in about a 24-hour period of time, almost like 48 yeah. hours. Rembrandt's double became successful and wrote hundreds of new songs. Rembrandt is getting up to perform, knows none of those songs, hasn't learned them, has had no time to learn them. I'm like, yeah. what is he going to do when he gets out there? He doesn't know any well, of the songs. They do They do sort of drop a line earlier on with Captain Jack where he's just like, you can do this song and this song and this song. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I know these. And he's sort of mentioning his old songs. I think they're implying he's going to do just the one Rembrandt knows. I know, yeah, Yes, it doesn't make sense because he would have missed, you know, who knows, 20 years of hits. But it whatever he's doing his songs it's just like that would have been the fun and games of just like this guy needs to learn these songs like that would have been a fun scene of him having to learn a mil- like 20 years of songs he didn't write again would it be a better episode if he came out and the crowd didn't like him i guess it didn't matter they're so excited that he's back that no matter what he did they would be happy anyway none of that matters at all he goes yeah. out there crowds loving it it's going great uh the Rembrandt from this world drops by just to say, tip his hat and watch kind of his, the new Rembrandt take over. And he's talking to Sliders. He's like, ah, oh, he's doing a good job out there. He's, and I think Wade, I probably says it. She's like, I, I admire you, uh, double Rembrandt. If someone offered me a million dollars a song, I sure wouldn't walk away from it. And like, as soon as they say a million dollars a song, his head like spins around. He's like, a million dollars a song? Which again, didn't really make sense because he just had a conversation that like, he sort of realized money and fame and everything was wasn't enough for him and he just he had enough of it and it didn't satisfy him in the way that he wanted it to but then suddenly this is enough money that that's a turn for him because what we're going to get is he's like what and then he leaves and then while Rembrandt singing this Rembrandt comes out again you can tell the difference in them because they don't look the same um, and they both sort of do competing songs but it's the same song but they're competing like doing one better I will say and, uh the double Rembrandt is a, more of a showman. He does a better job. <laughs> and so what happens is uh, the Rembrandt from this world, the one who's been in hiding for all these years, basically grabs the microphone and is like, hey, thanks, everyone. I just want to say thanks to this guy who's the best uh, impersonator we've ever seen. And he's clearly fake. So I'm going to continue the concert. And Rembrandt, I guess, is like so shamed that he got there first by saying that, that he's like, I guess I'll get off stage. And he just does. It is funny. I really had me wondering. I'm just like, why does this million dollars? I get it. A million dollar song. That's a lot of money, but he'd still be wildly wealthy. He was the most successful performer on earth. Even if he faked his death, certainly he's still wildly wealthy. Like he's clearly taken it and put it in somewhere, right? Yeah. So it, I know it doesn't make sense. He probably has like hundreds of millions, but he's like, but that twenty million I might make. That twenty songs I'm going to sing tonight. That really put me over the top. 
so yeah, so Rembrandt, Rembrandt's like, I guess I'm done. And he goes on, and just as they're going to slide out, he's like, well, I guess uh, I guess that's the end of this. Yeah, they try to comfort him by saying, maybe it'll be even more famous on the next world. And then we like hard cut to the next world they slide to, and they're selling ice creams and crowns because they're the kings of ice cream. Yeah, it, which doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. But don't you think there's there, there could have been a great a learning episode for Rembrandt here where maybe he learns what he's been striving for all this time is not what he wants and we, he could have grown as a character and then this is not his major character point going forward that he wants to be famous because like i think we're beyond that now there's all kinds of better shows you've been bringing up like possible alternate plots mm-hmm. i like also when i was watching this was writing my own plot for it because i'm like you're gonna do the double you've got a fake mm-hmm. dead rembrandt all this stuff and even it's up to a point where you remember when he gets kidnapped. We cut, I think, from the moment he gets kidnapped, we cut to that fo- that house in the forest where Double Rembrandt's watching the TV. And I thought for sure what was happening was the dead, the fake dead Rembrandt on this world had Rembrandt kidnapped to find out who he was, who, why he was there stealing his like legacy from him. And I thought it was going to be a thing where the two of them like get to know each other and they get to see how their lives went different. And then you could do these scenes where he's like, I want you to take over for me. Like, I think it's going to be, mm-hmm. it'd be good for you. And he teaches him his songs and they learn like the history he had on this planet and they go back and you could still even do the dumb gag at the end where the reveal is that like, no matter which Rembrandt you are, you're greedy for a million dollars a song and he loses it or something. But it was just like to have the nemesis be this ex bandmate. Who's just like, comically insane like there's just no there's no stakes there's no nothing interesting yeah. at play no it's it's a waste of an episode and i'm glad that you and i both disliked it i actually thought i liked it more before we start talking about it and i'm realizing now i liked it a lot less than I did. right <laughs> well it, we'll move on to the next episode jillian of the spirits which i think is a better episode um i mean it's still sliders but i think it's a better episode than this one which i think this was just a mess of an episode i mean we are fortunately jumping to season two so we're, that's right we're leaving season one behind which was full of a lot of low lights and you're right yeah a little glimmer of hope here at the beginning of season three or season two here's the imdb summary for season two episode three jillian of the spirits Look, what is this, this astral plane? Well, in theosophy, it's thought to be the next level above the tangible world. Kind of like another dimension. Okay. Now, if this, this lightning surge, if it carried him there, would now sliding out of here bring him back? Might be my only chance, Rembrandt. In a world where technology has been banned after the event at Hiroshima, the sliders must find a way to fix the timer that was damaged by lightning. Quinn doesn't fully materialize and must accompany his friends in a ghost-like state in the astral plane. And that truncated summary was courtesy of Mark D. Snyder. Thanks, uh, Mark D. Snyder. I have a question for you, Luke. It, so you said it in the um, in the synopsis there. We're going to learn it about halfway, maybe more than halfway through the episode, that the society they're in is a bit of a, uh, not quite a Luddite society, but like, they're very cautious about new technologies, so they adopt them very slowly in this world. And the reason they do is because after the Hiroshima uh, bombing, um, it has made people very wary of technology. Now, did you like that they told you about Hiroshima and that's the reason it went on? Because in previous episodes, we had this sort of thing where they're like, oh, the women run the society because of A, B, and C happened. Like, I always kind of think, like, I don't need this back history. I just think it's a fun idea, and let's go with it. Because 
the more you delve into it, the less it makes sense. That's how I feel. But what what did you think? Did you like that they made it like definitive start to this this movement in the culture? I found it less offensive or like not offensive in that it was offensive to people. It's just offensive to my brain more than. <laughs> Yeah, I found it less upsetting only in that what it was is they're like they didn't go into a lot of details just like after Hiroshima we basically saw we could push ourselves to apocalypse in 30 seconds like we're right there like we got we've gotten too smart and that basically we decided to put the brakes on technology and then all of that is probably how they've done this and I think they've selected Hiroshima, obviously for the big reasons of it was a horrific event, but also because they want it to be 1950s world. So it kind yeah. of also buys them the explanation for why everyone's dressed like they're a swinger in the 1950s. Yeah. And uh, uh, does it work, though, um, if if how this has worked? Is it just the United States that has decided? Or is it all of Western culture? Is it the all of the world is it specific places well that's where things get into a little bit of trouble because it seems like it's the whole world but yes, they keep referencing does. american like the senate decided this and all of a sudden i'm like well the senate doesn't decide for the like i think a problem of this show and i think it's you know a problem we encounter a lot is just like it's so america-centric that they can't expand that explanation beyond their own borders so it starts making less and less sense when everything's instituted by like the american government said this so that's why we do it i'm like well American government doesn't run the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, uh, it's just it's just typical of television. But yes, that's why I almost, me personally, I don't know if I even like the mentioning this sort of like Hiroshima or whatever because I'm just like, it doesn't make sense. So just like, don't talk about it. I, I just think I like it weirder, not weirder. I like it when it's a little bit more nebulous because I know they can't fill those plot holes. So don't even bother. Yeah, I... Of the ones they've done so far, this one was I found the least offensive to my brain, as I've stated previously. Yeah. Um, but you're not wrong. Like if you stop to think about it, you'd be like, "Well, I don't know if it would actually stop anything." But okay, like I don't, I don't know how their trade works. But regardless, uh, but we're gonna start with them in the forest, a nice Vancouver forest. It's rainy. They They're on Rain World, rain Jordan. They're on Rain World. Yeah. They somehow all have rain outfits. I guess they got it at some point. And uh, it's similar to the the last episode. It's the cold opening. They're just getting out of a world. It's just about to zap. Not to zap. It's just about to open. And uh, they're all like, that was wet and terrible. What's about to open? The the slide hole. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and, the, and the slide hole opens. They all jump through. Quinn's last. As he jumps through, he gets zapped by lightning, it looks like. Is he hit by lightning or is... No, the slide hole. The slide hole is hit by lightning. It's enough that the um, timer, communicator, whatever thing does, we're going to find out, it gets um, it gets like melted, essentially. And he gets zapped. Yeah, it short circuits. He gets zapped. You're like, oh, no, Quinn gets zapped. We go to the, the world they've popped in, which we're going to find. And you're saying it's like 1950s world. They're all there. Where's Quinn? He's not there, except he's off in the distance. He's like, hey, guys, it's me. It's Quinn. And they can't hear him. They can't see him. He seems to be a ghost. That's right. I mean, you want to watch this episode. You know it. You know it. He exists only on the astral plane, Jordan. Yes. Yeah, that's what we were hinting before. Now, Luke, before we get into all the details, do you think this was too much plot for one episode of the essentially A and B, which is one, they have to deal with fixing this timer so they can zap back. And uh, so in a world where there's no technology, pretty interesting pretty good setup yes but then you also have that quinn is on the astral plane and he can't communicate with them and they don't know he exists 
and that's also happening. But do those two blend? I mean, they do in this episode, but like, I don't know. It was like, this is a lot. It's not the smoothest blend for sure. It did feel like they had two plot lines. They were kicked yes. around the office and they're like, we can make these two work. Yeah, because they don't they don't coalesce in a way that you're like, oh, I see why he was invisible because this happens. That, that doesn't happen in the show. Like they, they do this whole thing that he talks Arturo through making the uh, the timer. But you can see that in the opening scene. I don't know why they didn't have him talk him through at the beginning, but it's just like, OK, sure. Yeah, it's not the smoothest transition for sure. Um, but I mean, of the episodes we've watched, I you know, I, I think I'm the most forgiving of this one so far. It's a little more on the fun side, at least. I agree. I agree. This wasn't much. I honestly, they're not night and day, these two episodes, but this is a far stronger episode. It's still sliders, but it's a stronger episode than the last one. And it's not nearly a mess. And I I agree. There's a sense of fun that the other episode didn't have. And as we've said, it's 1950s world. Technology here has slowed to a crawl post Hiroshima because they're afraid of technology and what it could do to the world if they let it run rampant. Um, I would say if there's anything that bothers me about this concept, Jordan, is when we cut to town and we see a movie poster on a movie theater that says Spartacus has been held over for the 1,872nd week. And I was just like, I don't know why they couldn't make movies for 50 years. Yeah. Well, they have they have the technology. It's funny. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's how it starts. Like, we've been it's specifically yeah, held over for 1,872 weeks. And I was just like, as it, went, as it kept going on, I'm just like, well, there was no reason you couldn't have made another movie. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, it. you can't focus on the details too much in this. It's like Setdeck thought something funny and they just like went for it. <laughs> At any rate, um, these sliders immediately get into trouble in this world because a, a horse cop stops that, or they stop a, ho- a horse cop and ask for directions. And the horse cop notices that Arturo has a digital watch on. Don't you think they're not careful enough though? Like the first thing they do before they know anything about the world, they approach a police officer. They don't know if this is a normal police officer or if uh, this is a more aggressive world or if a police officer even does policing in this world. Like, and I just think they must have been, they've been at least 10 different worlds. Quinn was nearly executed for graffiti. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you think they would be like super cautious every time they come to world, you think they'd like stop and go, okay, let's have one of you go peek out. Let's just watch things for a little bit. I know it doesn't make for very interesting TV and you need this to start the action, but it's just like, you guys are just like, you're so sloppy, but you're sliding. It seems like it's their first slide ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyways, your point is Arturo goes to talk to the police officer to ask for a payphone. While they're talking, he notices Arturo is wearing a digital watch, which is funny to me that he wears a digital watch. I was going to say, it doesn't fit his character at all. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So he's wearing a digital watch and the cop's like, uh, this is bad. The Bureau of T- Technology is monitoring this and doesn't like you having this technology. I've never seen it before. Um, but before he's sort of able to arrest them, his horse like goes a little nuts and he has to deal with his horse and they like run away. Yeah. yeah. Quinn uses his ghost powers to spook the horse. Is that what he did? I, I didn't remember. Yeah. Yeah. As Quinn uses his ghost powers to spook the horse or they'd be arrested for <laughs> violating the anti-technology statutes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. From it's the, it's an illegal material in the anti-technology statutes put through by the Bureau of Technology. And they head to what I guess must be the place they always go to when they land in a new world, the motel where Will Sasso works. <laughs> that's right and despite being nearly just now arrested for wearing a digital watch and being told of the anti-technology statutes they have a discussion with the innkeeper about how there is no tv or electronics listing in his phone book and start asking him where they can buy some technology 
And he just like the innkeeper freaks out. He's just like, you can't ask these questions. I'm going to lose my license. I'm going to go to prison if you ask me these questions. And I'm just like, you guys were just nearly arrested. What are you doing like out loud in the middle of the foyer of this hotel room? Just like, I mean, openly having this conversation. That aside, but they even say like something about a computer. And the guy doesn't say like, I've never heard about a computer. He's just like, what? Technology. And I was like, but why would you even have said something you know they don't have? If they've been playing Spartacus for a thousand days, they don't have a computer. They're like flipping through the phone book. They're like, can't find any technology. I wonder what that has to do with that cop freaking out and telling us about anti-technology <laughs> statues. I'm like, you're dumb. You're all dumb. That's the problem. Well, they also, I think, assume the audience is a little dumb and they have to like, like, we'll let them get their feet wet. We don't want the, we don't want to throw too much information at them all at once. Wimrent does have a good idea, though. If they need to ask people about technology and kind of what's happened on this world and not get in trouble, there's really only two people you can speak to confidentially. Usually, a lawyer and mm-hmm. a police, uh, a lawyer and a priest, and they don't have any money, That's right. so they should head down to the local church. Yeah, so they go to they go to the church. Uh, Wade says a prayer for uh, uh, Quinn, who, by the way, Quinn is like following the whole time, even though he knows he can't uh, talk to them. He's sort of like he's just following them, hoping that he can communicate in some way. Uh, Rembrandt goes into the uh, confession booth and yeah, he talks to the priest who does like a really bad Irish accent for some reason. Because he's um, a priest. Really quick. He's a priest, sure. And then really quickly, he tells them about the whole thing, technology in Hiroshima, blah, blah, blah. And he's all into the sliding. He's not surprised at all. And it's really just a, a way to get the audience up to speed. And while they're in the church, a service is going on and Quinn notices that one of the uh, the parishioners, one of the people at the church, just clearly sees him. And so he realizes there's someone who has the ability to see the different astral planes and can see ghosts or whatever. Yes. And we're going to learn she, this is not the first time. She can see things in other dimensions or other worlds or other spiritual realms that the normal person can't see. Yes, this is Jillian. And as you said, she has the ability to see into the astral realm. And... Um, She's been nearly committed before because she's talked to people in the astral realm before, and it's caused a lot of problems in her life. Mm-hmm. I do like that in this episode, they don't find other ghosts. There are no other ghosts that Quinn encounters. But the indication is this woman's been haunted by spirits her entire life. This episode just happens She happens to just happen to deal with Quinn. But in the day-to-day of her life, just the ghouls of the netherworlds are bothering her. Yeah. Not important to this episode, though. And, and did did you think there was maybe a missed turn of having this in the 1950s? I thought there was going to be something really about the restrictiveness of um, uh, Western culture and the idea of um, what was allowed specifically for women. I thought that's what they were going to go into. But it's it's just like, oh, it's just a time where they wouldn't have the technology we needed. You know? Yeah, that's it. Like, this is, I'll just say, this is less deep than uh, Back to the Future going back to the 1950s. That was a deeper movie. <laughs> Quinn is able to essentially chase this woman out of the church and like convince her basically to go pass a note to the sliders to let them know he's alive, yeah. that he's here, he's trapped in the astral plane. And it works. The sliders get the information. She kind of tells him something that tells them something only Quinn would know, i.e. that uh, Rembrandt walked in on him and Wade making out one time. That's, yeah. the, that's the big thing. And what's so funny to me is just like, they got this note. She's explaining this whole thing. She said something they couldn't do. They couldn't, uh, could, she, and no one else could know. And I'm just like, great, we can just move on with the plot now, right? Like, you know, you've, you've answered mm-hmm. those questions. And then we just get like 30 seconds where Toro's like, no, nah, it could, could, be, could be not true. And I'm just like, why? Why would that be? Well, it was thing a weird thing true? because it's not, it's a beat they add in that Arturo is skeptical, skeptical about it, which is like, okay, 
that works. But they've already proven he's there. And for the conceit of the show, he's there now. So, But it's like, it's not as if for the rest of the episode, Arturo's not going to believe it. He's just, for some reason in this episode, very irritated. They have him more angry than normal, where like he's trying to fix the stuff and he's like freaking out and stuff. I'm like, is that Arturo's normal? behavior i don't know it's just it, it it just doesn't quite work it's like they're making things fit because because they have it it's a plot thing it's like they need arturo uh frustrated because they need eventually quinn to help him so that's that's why he's acting that way yeah i guess so it's just so weird it's just like they prove it not beyond a shadow of a doubt but enough for this sliders episode to like get out of the way and they're like in a different episode maybe we could have a thing where they need to prove it and arturo doesn't believe in ghosts and they're like Oh, yeah, but we can't do that in this episode. But maybe he'll say a line and then never bring it up again. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it wasn't a good idea. But but anyways, she's she's they eventually explain she's cool about them being sliders as everyone is. Um, uh, and they go to um, they go. Is this where they find out that they sh- I know they're going to go to Quinn's house, but how do, I don't remember the link there. I just wanted to make a quick note that after sort of they, you know, learn Quinn's still there and all the stuff's going on. He's in the astral plane. Oh, I remember. He, they can't see and they can't see and help him. And you know, you're just like, well, now they've got two problems to solve: him on the astral plane and fixing a timer. Uh, but before they leave the church, Rembrandt says, "Well, maybe when we slide, he can just jump in the hole and we'll fix it." And they're like, "Yeah, probably. That'll probably fix it." And that's the end. <laughs> it's the end of discussions on how to get him out of the astral plane. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I do remember the link is while Rembrandt's talking to the um, priest. The priest says, "Who's kind of like." Uh, a helpful person uh he's like if you guys want to know information about um technology there is someone i can tell you about like on the slide yeah, he knows an ex-con who just got out of yeah. prison who's still probably dabbling in technology so they give him like an address they go great thank you very much they go to this place and would you believe it it's quinn's dad who we've seen one other time in the pilot quinn's dead dad he's alive on this world yeah. Do you think the actor was just such a nice guy? They're like, let's keep bringing him back. I assume he was just available in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they come back and it's like commercial. Oh no, it's Quinn's dad. So they basically go in and talk to him again. He's cool with sliding. Yeah. Well, on this world, his son Quinn was also a genius. Here. Oh my gosh. It made me laugh and laugh and laugh. And what did he die of? He died of polio, Jordan. <laughs> See, it now you as a viewer realize oh no, there's something bad about not adopting these technologies. They would have had the polio vaccine, but they didn't. They didn't get the 1950s. And Quinn somehow reached the age of uh, when he was born in his 20s and then got polio. And after Quinn died, his dad was lobbying the Congress to withdraw the anti-technology statutes, which is, again, where it gets confusing because if the whole world's agreed to it, you can't just get Congress to (laughs) pull them back. It doesn't matter. Um, and that's why he kind of ended up going to prison. And now um, now he's out, but he still has a little treasure trove of little technology bits they could, might be able to use to fix that timer, um, which is also where the uh, digital watch comes back into it because they needed someone to be wearing a digital watch because they take a microchip out of it. To that's fix right. The timer yeah, they're just like, he wears a digital watch done. But because Arturo is only theoretical sliding genius man i don't know what his job is he's a professor he doesn't quite know how to fix the timer and if quinn were there he could explain to him that he needs to reverse the polarities but quinn's not there he's invisible in the astral realm so uh he can't quite fix the timer i mean there's something to be said about the idea is not a bad idea which is we've seen and we've established that quinn is a bit of a genius because he created the machine that is the slider machine and so 
I get that Arturo wouldn't be that as good at it, but it, it just is like it's so clearly telegraphed for the audience what needs to happen. You're like, well, he's a ghost. He's just going to talk through Jillian and tell him how to fix the thing. But it's like there's no stakes to that. They just like leave it and then they wait till the end of the episode to do this. It's like, uh, okay, great. I'm glad we wasted time watching Arturo get frustrated. Yeah, I mean, it's just him getting really frustrated. I can't believe you only know it as the slide machine, Jordan. Well, the slide hole. Sorry. Sorry, slide hole. <laughs> no, that's what they jump into, the slide machine as a name. What is it? That's the slide holio. <laughs> well done. Slide holio. It's the great slide holio. <laughs> but yes, you're right. Uh, Arturo's frustrated. He can't fix it. Quinn's frustrated because he can't explain what he's doing wrong. So Quinn tracks down Jillian. I don't know how he tracks her down, but he finds her working at the 50s diner. It's yeah. not a themed diner in this world. It's just a regular diner. I thought the exact same thing. It's just a diner. Um, and so she works. It's the, it's the thing you, um, which again, is kind of a fun thing. And I think they maybe should just had this be the episode, like almost like just a Quinn episode of him trying to f- get back with his friends when he's astroplaning, but they have jammed it in as one of the plot lines. Um, so these fun scenes of like, you know, you've seen it like ghost or whatever the, the thing is where the person's talking to the, to the ghost spectral figure and they don't want to let everyone else know. So there's a lot of like, Shh, stop talking. You're bothering me, which is always kind of just a fun thing. They don't play it that much. They do a couple scenes of it, but this is, he comes back, he talks to her. He's like, I need your help. She doesn't want to help him. But then he like gains her confidence by, essentially showing that this bully girl who's mean for no reason has stolen money and he's able to look in her purse and show that she did in fact steal the money thus he's on her side and she wants to help him that's basically what the scene is this whole scene is insane to me because you're right what it is is quinn shows up and starts bothering her at work and she has to like talk to someone who's not there but they start the scene with this bully girl who's buying a hamburger or something who's mean for no Jillian reason at the cash register and well she's not mean for no reason she's there to mock her mental illness that she perceives <laughs> like she's like oh i hear you're mentally ill and as Julian has said this has been a problem for her but she doesn't walk away to talk to quinn around the corner she literally turns around at the cashier and just starts talking to nobody in front of the entire restaurant I'm just yeah. like you're not helping your case at all <laughs> and while she's talking to invisible quinn this girl steals like 300 dollars out of the register and walks away and then Jillian's boss comes out and she's just like, "There, what happened to all the money in the till, Jillian? You, did you leave the till open? And she's just like, I, I just walked away. I just left it open and walked away from the till. Is there a problem, boss? And she's like, yeah, you're going to have to pay me back this money you owe me. And of course, this is where Quinn goes and like looks in the purse and yeah. finds the money and like saves the day. Basically, he's just like, I didn't steal the money. See, it's in the purse. I'm like, well, you're still fired. You left the till open and walked away. <laughs> No, she's not because they found the money back, Luke. They talked. The, they found the money. The boss takes the bad girl who stole the money back to her office to call her mom. And as she's walking away, Jillian turns around. She's like, "Well, Quinn, I guess I owe you one now." Hey, boss, I'm leaving early for no reason. Bye. And I'm just like, "She's fired. Fire her. Fire this woman right now." Jillian's a terrible employee. Barring Luke, her sight into the SRL, found, fire her. She found the money. Why would you fire her? I don't understand. So, Jordan. You just leave the till up and you allow $300 to get stolen. And then as soon as you happen to find the culprit, you're like, I'm leaving early now, boss. Bye. I'm on your side. I'm just being a jerk. Yeah. I know. The, the, I know. The I'm, point so, is, I'm so mad. The point is she has to leave. It's 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 just classic sliders, though, where they set up things and they don't want to. It's as if no one ever stopped and said, but should we should we figure out how this makes a little more sense? It's just like, no, no, it's fine. Move on. It's fine. It's move on. And if you... I will say, if you watch sliders and you just let it wash over you and you don't 
pay as much attention as <laughs> sadly you and I are, you can just get a lot of this can just, as I say, just wash over you. You won't really think about it because you're like, yeah, it's fun. And when the episodes are moving at a good clip, you kind of forget about it. But when they're quite bad, like the last episode, it's hard not to get fixated on these boring things because the episode's so dumb. So you're like, well, why would this happen? Why would this happen? Because it's more interesting <laughs> than, than the episode that's being presented. Yes, I, I watched the scene yeah. quite closely. It was incensed <laughs> by the bad employee. <laughs> anyway, so Jillian's on their side now. We know that Archer has a temper- terrible temper. Um, we go back to um, him trying to work on the thing uh, on the watch slash timer. Just then they think things are going well. The dad comes in and he's like, hey, I actually, oh, he comes in. What is it? He comes in and he's like, wants to see the no, technology. I forgot. I forgot the, the turn. The anti-technology agents raid the house and steal. They're like, they're like, hey, we heard there's technology here. They are going to arrest Arturo and the sliders. And, and uh, the dad's like, don't arrest them. It was me. I was working on the timer. So they take the That's timer. Right. He's Spartacus. They arrest Quinn's dad and they drive away. And just as Quinn and Jillian are pulling up to the house. They see it all happening. So they follow They follow the agents back to the, uh, I think I've got it written down here, the Bayside Power and Electrical Company. That's right. And uh, Quinn's like, I'm going to use my ghost powers to sneak in there and see what's happening to my dad in the timer. And he goes in and he discovers that Quinn's dad is actually scamming the sliders. He works for the Bayside Electrical Company who are, uh, I guess they got him out of prison early, so now he's their employee. And essentially, they're trying to gather as much technology as they can because they're using their political power to lobby the technology statues to go away, and they want to have all the technology they can so when it goes away, they'll have a leg up in the market. Yeah, they basically, like, they're trying to patent stuff ahead of time so that when things are eventually allowed, they will, yeah, they will have cornered the market. You're like, okay, that's not a... That's not a bad idea, um, but it is weird. They do this whole like, like song and dance routine to, to to fool them with Quinn's dad and stuff. But you're like, okay, we just needed that turn where he's actually a bad guy. Quinn and Jillian go back. They explain the scam to the sliders, and they also mention that uh, Quinn's dad's going to murder them all when he's finished. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, he does have a gun later and stuff. They they basically are like, yeah, he's like a violent guy. And I was like, okay, we've seen none of that evidence. He he's again. Doesn't have the greatest integrity, but I don't think he's a murderer. Yeah, yeah. Arturo and Rembrandt go. They break into the power plant. They steal back the timer. And then, you know, just because they need scenes to happen, they go in. It's a fun heist scene. They steal the timer. I'm not going to go into details. It's just a basic heist scene. They come back to the motel they're staying at so they can pick up the rest of the sliders so they can go back to Quinn's dad's house to do the soldering they need to do. But as they're leaving the hotel... (laughs) Jillian's mom, who we haven't brought up, but his, her mom's always popping up, and she's mm-hmm. always mad if Jillian's talking about the astral plane. She doesn't want her to be like seen as insane. She's like doesn't want her daughter to be like sent to another uh, mental institution. So she shows up and she's mad. She's like, "What are you doing? Hanging out with these people? You know, I don't like you talking about the astral plane." And they basically tell her, "It's like your daughter's really special. She's got a special power. She's helping us get our friend out of the astral plane so we can slide later." And <laughs> They drag her with with them to Quinn's dad's house. And, I mean, she doesn't have much of a character, but I did appreciate they have a sequence here where, like, they can't finish soldering it because they don't have anything small enough to, like, finish the soldering job. So so the mom gives them her, like, hat pin so they can finish the soldering job, showing that she has faith in her daughter. Like, it's a nice moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, in an episode that's, like, 
not earning any of these moments, but it is a nice moment seeing that like Jillian's mom. Like, well, they could have they could have seeded a few things with the mom a little bit better during the episode. I again, it's a, it's a moment of time because they they have as we said, kind of two episodes that are jamming together that don't quite work. So there hasn't enough time given to eat either one. So the scenes you could have had the mom. Um, you know, being harsh and then have her this turn where you realize, yes, yeah, she does love her her daughter. And the reason she's acting this way is because she's worried about her, not because she's a bad person. They don't quite earn that. But it is a sweet scene where you're like, you know, they got that. They look at each other and you realize, oh, yes, they're they love each other. It's just, you know, society has, has hurt them and blah, blah, blah. And uh, <laughs> it's. I do like though that it's that that pin that and it's it's just Arturo just the whole episode. I would love to just see a compilation of just him sitting over that thing just yelling. He's just so angry, <laughs> so angry. But they get the timer repaired, and it's just in time, Jordan. There's only mm. 17 seconds left of the slide. Well, they always do this like 17 seconds, but just then Quinn's dad comes out with the gun, and I'm like, yeah, he storms downstairs. There's the no gun. time for this. There's no time. I know it's so funny and. The slide hole opens, and maybe this is information we missed in a previous episode, but it, we're told that there's 60 seconds before it closes. So once the slide yes. hole opens, you got 60 seconds to get inside. And Quinn's dad has him at gunpoint. He's not going to let the slider slide. And Quinn steps in front of the slide hole. And when you're standing in front of a slide hole in the astral plane, you can be projected into the normal world. So basically, Quinn's dad sees Quinn alive and well, and basically Quinn's able to talk his dad down and be like, you're not this Wasn't guy. Wasn't that overly convenient, though? To have that you could see and hear him because he's like standing in front of the hole. I was like, okay, this is one way if we could get around this. It's like you said, Jordan, it's it's two plots that they thought they might be able to mash yeah. together, but it doesn't always like the puzzle pieces don't always quite fit as well as they could. But it gets them out of it, right? Also, don't you think don't you think the dad would have had maybe a more reaction to have seen his son that died and like you know, and 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 if you died of polio, a very sad way to go. Um, and painful way to watch someone go. And it's like, he's like, hey, look at that. It's Quinn. Yeah, well, they only have 60 seconds. Yeah. They don't have time yeah. for that. Yeah. But what he does is he says, all right, I'll let you guys slide. I, I'm sorry. I love you, son. Welcome back. And the sliders go to the hole and they're like, let's slide, Quinn. He's just like, I've got bad news for you guys. The slide hole didn't open up in the astral plane. I don't see it here. And I'm stuck here. And they all slide away and the slide hole closes. And I'm just like, is Quinn stuck? For a second, I was like, is Quinn stuck in this world? I don't understand how they get out of this. I do think for a minute there was going to be a serialization of there was going to be a few episodes of him trying to connect back with them again. I was like, that's a really cool idea. Or you had a few episodes where he wasn't he wasn't there or you just check in with him. But it's not. Immediately, another hole opens up because of reasons. For some reason, the slide hole to hell opens up. It's just like a I know, red, it's all red glowing <laughs> hole. <laughs> And then Quinn says, oh, I guess the slide hole is now passing through the astral plane after it finished off in the <laughs> it's other so plane. Stupid. It's so stupid. Again, but you're right when you said, like, it's just none of this is earned because they, they set up a, a problem and then they don't invest any time to it. And then it's like, well, now we're going to solve it. I'm like, okay, I guess Rembrandt was right at the beginning where they're just like, I guess we'll jump through the hole and everything will be fine. That's what happens. Everything's fine. Yeah, they jump through. They land in the next world. Quinn's back to physical form. And good news for everybody. They landed on Nude World. Yeah, that's the joke. Everybody's naked in this world. <laughs> and it's weird because it's clearly um, cold where they're filming because all the oh, actors... Covered in snow everywhere. Yeah, and it's like, oh, they decided this but didn't have it go like, oh, these poor actors have to be in the cold for this, this scene to have this hilarious reveal that the mailman wears a hat but no clothing. I also was like, the sliders all laugh. They're like, ha, 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 everyone's naked here. I guess this isn't our Earth either. And they just walk down the... Like, it ends up walking down the street. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... 
they, they don't learn anything. They should be stripping all their clothes off this exact yeah. second so they don't go to jail. Immediately they went up to a, a, a naked police officer. They're like, uh, hello, good sir. Do you know where the nearest payphone is? How do you feel about digital watches? <laughs> and that's it. That's the episode. But again, we'll, we'll rate them now. But that I thought was a much better episode. It is a better. It's a more fun episode yeah. for sure. Which, which is, let's just say, we've now watched, what, four or five episodes of Sliders? It, it is what this show should be. It should be fun and dumb and have a good time while you're doing it because they just don't know how to do anything deep. They don't know how to do anything terribly uh, uh, inventive or interesting. So just have a good time. Am I wrong? I will say though, Jordan, we didn't talk about this, but uh, we got some great Rembrandt trivia that uh, first episode. Oh, do we? I I wrote it down here in my final notes for you that uh, apparently the character Rembrandt can cry out of each eye individually. Oh, that's right. That's right. He does say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that'll come up later. That's a real selling point. But yes, you're not wrong. I think I think both of these episodes are a bit better than some of the ones we've watched before, in my opinion. Really? With, obviously, Jillian's experience being uh, significantly better, I think, than some of the previous ones. Uh, not, like, significantly by, like, a huge margin, but, like, it was mm-hmm. at least more fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go. Let's. What, what do we give episode eight from the season one, The King is Back? What would you give this episode? Uh, yeah, it's not a great episode. Certainly, as we talked about it, like, the huge glaring plot holes and, like, pointlessness of it really, like made me a little crazy mm-hmm. i was happy that rembrandt got an episode i was happy that the entire episode was based around the only thing they needed to say was just like oh i said no to that manager before like i was just like thank god i'm not getting an issues episode like this is where they can probably have their most fun is with mm-hmm. just like a silly episode like this i think they're doing a terrible job writing these episodes in the first season from what i've seen so far i mean granted we've only watched four of the first season episodes but uniformly uh, the pilot was great and then uniformly it was like barely thought through concepts Um, and this is just continuing that trend i'm gonna go like i think i'll go get a four i guess yeah i'm gonna go a little lower i just was like uh this show is just such a drag sometimes and it's a pain when i actually i like the actors i like the characters i like the concept and they'll start something i go this is fun and they go what's the least fun way we can do this stuff and it's and that's what it seems like. I, it's a three to ten for me. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I'm I'm only going up a little bit just because I'm like at least it didn't. At least they weren't uh, like. It wasn't offensive. What did I say? It wasn't as offensive to my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and you're right. And they didn't try to do like some ham-fisted like idea where they they talked about uh, something about the cultural culture or uh, race relations or something where they clearly don't have a deft enough hand to handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was as deft as they could handle, and they could they couldn't even handle it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, a slightly better episode, I say, um, a Jillian on this, uh, uh, a Jillian of the spirits. Excuse me. So, what do you think about this one? This episode has been called the Spirits of Jillian, right? Like, I can't yeah. pronounce this episode. Yeah, Jillian of the spirits doesn't make any sense. Maybe that's a pun. Is that a pun? I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a hilarious joke. Honestly, it's a better episode for for what we've seen of Slider so far. It's not much better. Like, this could have been a first wave episode. (laughs) I agree. I agree. For, like, all the thought that went into it. And first wave would have at least been funner, I think, in some way. (laughs) Yeah. But there's some fun moments. I know I complained a lot about that scene at the restaurant. But it was also very funny to me watching the scene at the restaurant. So it's a a pretty hit or miss. I'm going to give it a straight down the middle five. It's funny, Luke. I'm also giving it a five. I would give it more because it was a more fun episode. But it's, guys, this is season two. You had a whole year, you've done this show, and now you come back, and this is, at best, okay. So, 5 out of 10. You guys gotta do better than this. What's crazy is it is true. It's like, this is them, and they got their shit together. 
Yeah, exactly. But no, is is it better than the, the first season? I would say it is, but it's not better than the pilot. No, no. I mean, I think they've clearly shown we're never getting back there again. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Who knows? I honestly, I'm now Team Fox, and I think I'm excited about the idea of changing this to an actual action adventure show and uh let's start changing the cast something's got it something's got to give yeah i mean the writing's on the wall like this creative team can't handle this show and no i mean i'm not to say that anything's a slam dunk but like dude (laughs) we all remember sliders because i think the concept alone is strong yeah anything's possible that's that's what's cool about this concept anything's is possible you can be it could be as simple or as complicated or um uh, mundane or as crazy or anything it could be anything and everything in between and they're just like what if rembrandt um uh was famous i'm like oh okay crazy like do you do anything with it nope no well like you said you couldn't figure out why you didn't like maurice fish the character who abducted him and i think it's just a combination of it's like a pointless character that like it doesn't make any sense like it's just they needed rembrandt to be out of the episode for 15 minutes so that's what they chose to do like it could have been anything yeah yeah it could be a flat tire a flat tire well jordan we're now three podcasts into mm-hmm. sliders which mm-hmm. means we're gonna check that old escape pod and see if we're gonna oh let's do it let's take do it. the old uh easy way out if you if, if you will I, I don't think we are i will punch these numbers into the continuing drag computer and we'll see where we are no i think we're still at that i think the uh i think the pilot and the first couple episodes were strong or at least our ratings were high enough to keep us uh to keep us going All right, Jordan. Do you want to hear what the current rating is for sliders? I do. It is 5.05. Oh my gosh, sliders. You are right on the edge, my friend. It is 0.05 away from the escape pod. It's a bad show, I think. I know. I know. Oh, and can I say something really quick? The second season, did you notice? Well, one, the opening has changed slightly to show some clips from the first season. They don't go sliders. They didn't do it. Oh, yeah. I did make a note of that. So they only whispered sliders for one season, but that's all I remember. <laughs> that's all I want to remember. Again, this show, you guys, it's not a very good show. And, and I, I hope it gets better for our sake for having to watch it, but it might not. And without some major changes, this is just a kind of like a not very good show, which I remembered fondly too. I watched it. I thought it was fun, but it's just I was young and dumb, I guess. Yeah, I am shocked. I'm shocked to see how colored by nostalgia the show is. I'm watching it and I'm just like... This is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if that doesn't tell you we should watch more episodes, nothing will. So more next week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll be back. We're going to watch two more episodes. I mean, from this point on, we're going to have to check the escape pod every podcast episode. It's it's so close to falling off the edge. It's crazy to me. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. It's just they've been really bad. Really, really bad. And these are the best episodes we're picking. Well, yeah. From, from the algorithm we've designed to pick the best three episodes of every season... And I will admit there's been some hiccups with that algorithm, but like, nonetheless, I think we've done pretty well picking the good ones. And this is, this is rough city. Yeah, it is rough city. Anyways, uh, let's see what the rest of season two has to uh, offer next time. Well, if you at home are like, no, 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 you've missed the best episodes. You really need to go back and watch this episode of season one. You have the chance to make that happen because we have bonus episodes for charity. What it is is a little initiative we've got where you make a charity donation to a list of charities on our website as selected by past guests, 
we ask for a donation of $50. That's the suggested donation, though. Give to what your means allow. We won't hold it against you. We all know we live different different lives in this world. My parallel slider is so rich. He's just riding out on a gold water slide right now. That's what he's doing. He's not we were talking about that before we recorded. What, 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 what would our alternate versions be much more successful than us? The answer is yes. Yes, they would. Every world. <laughs> Every world. We talked about that on the show. You know that, right? No, we talked about it also off there, too. I know. Okay. Okay. Luke, we can't stop talking about sliders. Off there, on there. Um, but yes, if you make a donation to bonus episodes of charity, you can select any episode of a show that we took the, uh, what do you call it? The escape pod out of. Anything, mm-hmm. we, any series we never finished the entire entire breadth of. And when it comes to these best of series, that leaves a lot of episodes, yeah, a lot of episodes of sliders, a lot of episodes of first wave. So you could pick any one of those that we missed, pay a little bit of money to charity, do a nice deed for somebody, send us the receipt, and we'll do a bonus episode mm-hmm. for you. We've done a couple tech wars. People know how this works. Yeah. At any rate, go to the website, continuumdrag.podbean.com or check our social media. There's links in our bios there. You can learn all about it. And of course, if you need more information, you need me to explain this better than I'm doing right now, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com and I'll give you more information. And and that's it. And that's another week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to see some clips from oh, Sliders, yeah. Yeah. you can go to our social media. I forgot how we do at this. Continuum Drag is the... <laughs> the handle there uh, and that's on instagram twitter and facebook and uh i don't know email jordan about uh what you think his slide his parallel slide lies would be like at the email address continue drag at gmail.com uh that wraps up for this episode though uh, thank you for joining us listener and jordan i will slide you next week nice All right in the slide hole see you then <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>